Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to K2. Good morning. So uh, looking forward to the next few minutes we have to spend together today. And uh, uh, I, I don't know about you, I hope uh, that this series that we're in uh, has been as challenging and encouraging to you as it has been for me. We're in a series called Spirit, where we're trying to understand the role of the Spirit in our lives through God's Word. And I just know for me, as we've been going through this, it's been a great opportunity to just re-examine if I really am living in... Yeah, would you move that, please? People can't see me. <laughs> Which is probably a blessing to many. Anyway, um, but just, just for me, a chance to uh, look and examine, am I really living fully empowered by the Spirit? Am I really seeking His guidance? And am I really living uh, the life that, that the Holy Spirit uh, has uh, guiding me into and, and God wants me to live. And so it's been great. I hope it's been the same for you. And we're concluding that today. And uh, if you have not been able to be at all of those uh, messages, I would just encourage you to go back either in the app or on the website and check out those uh, podcasts or videocasts. And, and just, I really feel like they've been uh, tremendously valuable in, in our growth as uh, followers of Jesus. And um, if you haven't been able to be here just by way of review, the first week Eli was here and he talked uh, with us about the, the idea that the Holy Spirit actually wants to have a relationship, a dynamic relationship with us, actively engaged in our lives. And then the next week we talked about how the Holy Spirit uh, reveals truth to us. And uh, as we understand and live in the truth then we start to uh, receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit. His comfort comes through truth. And then the next week, Dave talked with us about how the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and junk in our life and that junk that keeps us from actually living in the relationship he desires. And then last week, if you were here, you heard Dave again talk about how the Holy Spirit uh, desires intimacy with us, intimacy to the point that we are created into new beings. He actually, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we become new creations. And uh, this week, though, we have a little shift as we close out. Those are just, again, just looking at what the Holy Spirit does in us and to us and how he works, uh, how the Spirit works within us as people. And this week, though, what we're doing is transitioning into understanding as a result of what the Spirit does in us, what does that produce from me? Right, because if, if the Spirit is acting on our behalf and doing things in us, shouldn't that change and transform who we are? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. I love the opening song by the Father's good decree, Jesus, you've delivered me by your Spirit, set me free to follow you. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. What does it mean for us to be following the Spirit? How can we live a life that's empowered by the Spirit? How can we be following Him? And uh, uh, let, me, let me just ask you a question. If everyone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus and filled with the Spirit, living by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, if that was true of our lives, do you think this world would look the way it looks right now? No, I, I actually don't either. And I think that part of the problem is we live outside of the power of the Holy Spirit and we live in our own spirit, our own strength, our own humanity. And we know if we've learned anything about ourselves, we fail, right? 
And so we want to look at that and say, I don't know for you, have you ever looked around and you've seen other people, uh, you know, you, um, you see people and you look at them and you're like, man, how come they just seem to be living these really dynamic spiritual lives, like God seems to be doing stuff in their lives all the time and when I compare my life to theirs, it's kind of flatline. Anyone ever feel like that? <laughs> no one. Fantastic. Well, I do sometimes, just so you know. I mean, realistically, we see people and they just seem to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'll just tell you this, honestly. When I first, you know, when, when Susie and I were first married, I remember that uh, if I really wanted, you know, believe that God was going to do something, I would ask her to pray because I believe God would answer her prayers. Well, I've learned that God answers prayers, period. And so all I have to do is pray and believe, Right? But so many of us live that kind of life where we see something and it's others and we don't believe that it's for us. And I want you to hear clearly the Holy Spirit wants to live inside of you and empower you and guide and transform the way you live. You're back during the Second World War, this uh, guy, Ernest Gordon, he was 24 years old at the time. And he was uh, on the Allied forces, but he was captured by the Japanese. And he was forced to go into, uh, you know, a POW camp. The camp that he was forced to uh, go into was in Thailand, actually, and it was a particularly, led by a particularly brutal leader who uh, just violated the Geneva Convention left and right and tortured brutally uh, the prisoners there and uh, just uh, flat out, uh, you know, murdered some of the, the people and just physically abused, uh, put them on starvation kind of rations. And that camp was charged with building what's called the, the notorious Railroad of Death or the Death Railroad, the, the, the Railroad to Burma. It was over 400 kilometers long, I believe. And uh, they gave them, even on these, these ridiculous rations for the prisoners, they gave them a rid more ridiculous time frame to complete it in with the threat that if you don't finish it, bad things are going to happen. Well, something interesting happened through the leadership of this Ernest Gordon. He started what they call Jungle University within the, for the prisoners of war. And what happened is they had the prisoners who uh, just taught out of what they knew. So one guy uh, taught the philosophy of Plato because he was very familiar with that. And one guy taught the poetry of Shakespeare. And of course, one person, I'll let you guess who, taught the radical teachings of Jesus. And as a result of Jungle University, the POW people changed, their attitude changed and hope returned. They had a new lease on life to the point that the guards and the person in charge of the POW, POW camp actually noticed a marked difference in their lives and how they approached things. Actually, they... Even under those conditions, they, they were so, so markedly different that they finished the railroad to Burma six months earlier than the ridiculous time frame they were given, and they did it all by hand. It's amazing, because hope had returned. And then at one point, nearing the end of the war, Allied forces were bombing. They bombed another camp. And the, the guards from that camp who were injured came to the camp that Ernest uh, Gordon was at, and the camp commander said, nope, you can't come in here. Ernest Gordon at that very moment looked at the people and said, no, we can't do anything. We, we, we can't let them 
just be turned away. And in defiance to his own commander and the leader of the POW camp, he went and started ministering medical assistance to these enemies, these torturous Geneva Convention violation, starvation people. He ministered them medically. And you know what happened? The camp followed suit. And the POW guards at that camp followed suit. And they ministered to the very people. And you know, it's amazing to me. You see this being beaten and starved and abused and mentally abused, all this kind of stuff. Justice finally seems to be served, right? The bad guys get blown up. But that's not how Ernest Gordon saw it. He saw an opportunity to serve out of the way that God, through the Holy Spirit, led him to. And you have to ask yourself, what is it that makes someone live that kind of life? Because in that situation, I don't think I would have done what he did in my own strength for sure. And I'm guessing you'd be the same way. And I believe that the reason he could live that way is because he had the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And I believe that he could live that way following the Holy Spirit because God's word tells us that's what it is. And I think that if we were all living in the place where we were truly following the Holy Spirit's guidance and doing what he told us and we're in tune with him, checking in with him, this world would be a different place. Our community, our homes, our friendships, our relationships would be different places. And today, that's what we're going to look at. How can my relationship with the Holy Spirit affect the community that I live in, not just me. Because if we're not careful, here's the problem. If we're not careful, our relationship with Jesus Christ becomes a selfish me gospel. What's he going to do for me? How's he going to fix me? I want to look at a passage in John chapter 7, picking up in verse 37. You can read along with me, or you can, if you have your app, you can open up your app and follow along there. The notes are in there. It says this, starting verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And I always say this, when you're reading God's words, one of the best things you can do for yourself is understand the context in which it's written. And you even just start with this very first, very first sentence, on the last day of the feast, the great day. Okay, blow past that, right? No, no, hold on. And what it's not talking about, you know, like, oh man, I went to Famous Dave's and I got the feast for two, ate the whole thing myself. What a great day. You know, that's not what it's talking about. This is a very specific reference to what was happening in the moment that Jesus is talking. So in this, the, 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 uh, culture of the, the Jewish culture has history in celebrating events that showed how God worked miraculously and sustained and supported and brought healing and all this kind of stuff. And so they annually support. This is one of those feasts. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. This Feast of Tabernacles is an eight-day feast. Or, well, actually, it's an eight-day celebration. The first day is a day of rest, and the last day is a day of rest. At the end of the first day, what they would do is they'd go to the temple— and they would take these 75-foot-high candelabras that have like four branches on them. Each of the candelabras, 
So there are four candelabras, four branches, 16. Each of the branches of the candelabra, someone would have to climb the candelabra carrying a 10-gallon bucket or container of oil for each of those things and they'd fill it and light it and then they'd light the thing and the beauty and the glory of the temple would be seen and then they would start the celebration. That was the end of the first day. And then they go all the way to day seven before they rest again on the final day. On day seven, it's the great day. Hoshana Rabbah. The great day. This is the high water mark of the celebration. It's the, it's the, you know, creme de la creme. This is the day we really celebrate. And what happened is priests would lead the people through the streets and he would be carrying uh, two, uh, um, like, lanterns or, or, or um, pitchers, I guess you'd call them. And he's carrying these two pitchers. One would be filled with wine and that was to represent the drink offering. And then he'd have another one and they'd, they'd parade through town with a choir and flutes and trumpets and, and uh, the priests leading them all. And then they'd get to the pool of Siloam where they'd fill the second pitcher. Well, check this out. That, just don't, don't miss this. The pool of Siloam is where Jesus healed the blind man, if you remember. He spit in the dirt, made mud, rubbed it on the guy's eyes and said, go, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And he did. And he received life back by getting his vision back. So they'd go, they'd fill the thing and they'd go back through the town again, back into the temple where the whole, the festivities would, the finality of the festivities would kind of be in the temple on on that seventh day, the great day. And this whole festival was to, to celebrate God's provision over the years to the people of Israel and to pray for his provision through rain and providing water for them in the future. So in the light of that, we find that Jesus is standing in the temple on the seventh day at the height of this big celebration. And he says, he cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Holy Spirit. Okay. He takes a moment in this whole thing. They go, the the drink offering, God's provision, and he says, I want to put some skin on this celebration. I want you to understand, I want this to be practical. We're talking about a very important thing, and the important thing is, if you're thirsty, come to me. Drink what I offer, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. Speaking right into the very festival itself. People heard clearly what he was saying. And here's what's interesting. He says, out of you will flow rivers of living water. Well, what is, what is a river of living water? First of all, it's saying that what comes out of you will provide life to others. Isn't that what water does, right? People don't have water. We see this around the world. We have all these initiatives for water because people are dying because they, they can't get water. But he's saying, you're gonna, out of you will flow rivers of living water. And what do we know about rivers? Well, we know, we know that, first of all, rivers require a source, Right? No river just automatically pops up and starts going unless it has a source. We have snow melt that provides the rivers for us here, right? Or rain will provide rivers. Some come in and out of different tributaries and and, and lakes and so on and so forth. Jesus says, I want you to understand, first of all, it needs a resource, because a river needs a source. Well, what's the source? He says, now he said this about the Holy Spirit. He's talking specifically about the fact that that river of living water can only be produced if we're receiving from the Holy Spirit. And what comes into you goes out. And I just want to put a challenge out there for, for all of us. Bear in mind, no matter what you believe, who you believe in, what your faith is, where you are in your faith journey, whatever goes into you is what's coming out. 
If something goes in, something different's not coming out, right? And he's saying that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's how you can have the Spirit go in and the Spirit go out. I want to show you uh, this example. Uh, just an ordinary glass. Nothing up my sleeves, right? Uh, ordinary glass. What's in it? Well, not anymore anyway. Nothing in it. Well, actually, there is something in it. What's in it? Air, of course. Now, I mean, I guess I could get, like, I could suck on this really hard and try and get all the air out of it. But eventually, if I was successful in sucking all the air out of this, what would happen? It would be a vacuum and it would break. The only way I can actually get all the air out of it is to fill it with something else. And I'm not going to fill it the whole way because I actually want the water. You get the point, though. If I were to fill this glass with water, there would be no more air in it. And I want to think, this is what I believe is a good example. Think of ourselves as the glass. Whatever you put into this glass, when you turn it over and pour it out, guess what's coming out? Whatever went in. And if we think about what's in here as our insides or what we're filling ourselves with, the way to change, you can't just go, well, I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit, but you're not going to fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. And the way to get the junk out of your life is to replace it with good stuff. Holy Spirit in, Holy Spirit out. That's the only way it works. You know, the, so what he's saying here, just, just to be clear, is that the natural byproduct of being a believer in Jesus and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit is that we produce life in all of those around us. See, we, we like to ask questions, and I think these are very important questions. Like, like uh, should I go to this school or should I go to that school? And we check with the Holy Spirit, God, would you lead me and guide me, help me know if I should go to this school? Or should I date this person or should I marry that person? Uh, should I buy this? Should I do this? I, those are Im- hugely important questions. We need to be asking ourselves and checking with the Holy Spirit's guidance in every decision we're making. But the problem is if we stop there, we've again just created this me, me, me gospel. See, we need to extend beyond this to bigger questions. Bigger questions like what is God doing in this moment right now? What's God doing around me? And what am I supposed to do about that? We're supposed to ask ourselves questions like what is this person that I'm talking to? What do they need? We need to be asking ourselves questions like, what can my giftings, my resources, my talents, what can that do for everyone else? And if we don't take, ask that second set of questions, we're stuck with a very, very selfish gospel that's all about me. I want to look at 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1. It says this, His divine power is granted... Uh, his, excuse me, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world because of the sinful desires. Let's look at this, just break this down for a second. First thing, his divine nature has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What he's saying here is there is a source. 
And that source, the divine nature, the Holy Spirit, grants us everything we need for life and godliness. And then he goes on to say later in this verse that you may become partakers of his divine nature. Once we tap into the source, we actually start to partake in his divine nature. And that we can escape the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. Here's what he's saying. You can fill yourself with the divine nature, forcing out the human nature. And you want to know the difference between the divine nature and the human nature? Everything. Everything is different about the divine nature and the human nature. See, the divine nature is about us doing for others and what God can do through us to bless others. You know what the human nature is? Me. Historically, you look, Satan, what, why did Satan fall? Because he wanted something that God, he, he felt God wasn't giving him. Why do we sin? We sin because we think someone's keeping us from something or someone's holding something from us or we're not getting what we want or whatever. And so we act, regardless of our ramifications on others, we do something to get what we want. That's sin. Romans 6.12 says it this way, don't let sin control the way you live. Do not, be give, do not give in to sinful desires. Don't give in. Sinful desire, me, me, me. And we're told to live a different life empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we live a different life, it's you, you, you. And so last time I talked, if you remember, I said I only have one point because I'm not that great a speaker yet. Well, guess what? I got better. I have two points today. And I know. One day I'll like keep you here all day with points. Just point after point. Just keep going. The question is, is how do we tap into the source? Point number one. So if you're a note taker, write this down. Turn on your receiver. Look at John 16, 15 with me. It says this. Everything that the Father has is mine. Jesus talking. Everything that the Father has is mine. That is what I meant when I said that he, the Spirit, will take the things that are mine and will reveal, declare, disclose, transmit it to you. The Spirit will reveal, declare, disclose, transmit it to you. You know, we live in a very techie culture, right? You guys realize that right now, as you're sitting here, there are radio frequencies coursing through your body from all these transmissions going, radio station stuff, uh, television station stuff, uh, phone stuff, right? Well, here's what I want, notice this. The spirit, it says, is going to transmit to you. It's going to disclose, declare, transmit. In the same way that right now I have this microphone on, I have a transmitter in my pocket. And somewhere out here, somewhere, there's a receiver that receives what the transmitter sends and then they send it through the soundboard and you can hear me. If they were to turn or if they were not to turn the receiver on, guess what? You wouldn't hear me. And that's what they're saying about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that about the Holy Spirit. That if you... It, it, he is, the Spirit is transmitting, but so many of us never even turn our receivers on to hear what the Holy Spirit wants. We don't stop just in our minds to say, Holy Spirit, guide me in this moment. What do you desire? What can I do? What do you desire of me? How can what I have change this situation? And part of turning your transmission or your receiver on is being aware of the Holy Spirit. Part of it is asking questions of the Holy Spirit. And part of it is 
Remember we talked about this? The Holy Spirit is the author of the God's word. He breathed and through his breath the, the, the word was created. You need to be in God's word. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit is telling you, be in his word. Let's show you another example. I have a whole bag full of tricks here. That's how I get extra points in my message. Um, see this? You guys know what this is? Okay, seriously, do not know what this is? Light bulb, thank you. There's no trick question. It's a light bulb, okay? It's actually a floodlight. And uh, here's what's cool about this floodlight. I mean, you just look at it. You see the curves on this thing? Isn't that amazing? See that beautiful frosting in here and the print? Isn't that amazing? Don't you guys want to have one of these now? Probably not so much, right? I mean, who cares? But here's what I think is an example of the Christian life powered by the Holy Spirit. This, we are a light, like this floodlight. Right now, it's pretty useless, honestly, unless I'm Uncle Fester. It's pretty useless in the moment. And this is us. But when we plug into the receptacle or the receiver, what happens? Electricity fills it, and then it lights up, right? Oh, now you all want one, don't you? Because we light up. Probably not that, even that much. Great, I get it. Lights turn on. But see, here's what's interesting about a floodlight. The point of the floodlight isn't to draw attention to itself, is it? The point of the floodlight is to light what we're supposed to look at. Take a look at this. That's a beautiful home, isn't it? Anyone even see the floodlights really or do you just see the lights that it provides so you can see the beautiful tree and the landscape and the house? See, I think that this is an example of how Jesus calls us to live. We should be floodlights that plug into our receptacle, receive the Spirit's electricity and we illuminate Jesus Christ and his glory comes because we're obedient and plugged into the Holy Spirit. But as long as we don't turn our receivers on, this is what you got. Buck 19. Look at Galatians chapter 5 with me, and it says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And check out this next verse. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature wants. The two forces are constantly fighting with each other, so you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. Do you see that? Not only does the Spirit give us the power to live a different life, not only does he fill us with his, his, his guidance and his comfort and truth and all that stuff so that we can live a different life, he also gives us desires that are opposite of our sinful nature. What's our sinful nature again? Me, me, me. When we plug into the Holy Spirit, turn our antennas on and receive from him, we can actually live a life that's not me, 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 but you, you, you. That's how we're supposed to live, just like that floodlight. Put your antennas up. Spend time in God's word. Spend time praying. Seek him in the moment. Ask him, Holy Spirit, what is you're asking me to do right now for the good of others? Really interesting story. If you know D.L. Moody was a very influential person in the uh, Christian faith in the uh, late 1800s. And he was getting ready to do uh, a campaign and... uh, as he was preparing for that, it was over in England, and as he was preparing, an elderly pastor protested. 
He said this, why do we need this Mr. Moody? He's uneducated, inexperienced, etc. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And a younger, wiser pastor rose and responded, no, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. See, this is a man who lived in accordance with the Holy Spirit, plugged in and sought every direction of every day by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Hugely influential person, not for his own glory, but he lit the house. Second thing is this. Not only do you need to turn on your receiver, you need to inspect your fruit. John 7, we read it to the first verse. It says, he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Inspect your fruit. When you receive, remember, you, he just said, those who believed would receive the Spirit. So when you believe, you receive the Spirit. And two things, well, many things happen, but two important things happen when you receive the Spirit. And I want you to understand this. The first thing is, uh, this is not chronological. One of the things that happens, probably a better way of saying that, one of the things that happen is you receive a spiritual gift. Now, a spiritual gift, I'm not going to go into all the details because our next series is going to talk in, in detail about spiritual gifts. And what happens with spiritual gift is you receive this gift, and it's a gift that is given to each of us, and you have met, all of you have, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have probably a few different spiritual gifts, and they're given to you for the building up of the followers of Jesus Christ. So it's a gift that we have that helps build the body of Christ. Okay, that's one thing that happens. Second thing that happens is the Holy Spirit empowers you to produce fruit of the Spirit. And a simple question for us to ask, if you want to know if you're following the Spirit and you're following what He's doing, you just have to ask yourself, am I seeing fruit of the Spirit? Look at Galatians chapter 5. It says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Simple question. If you want to know if you're living empowered by the Spirit, is your action, go to Galatians 5, are my actions motivated by patience? Was I loving? Was I kind? Was I faithful? All you have to do is look and ask, am I doing what God's word says? The fruit of the Spirit will tell you. If you're not acting out of patience, I'm telling you you're not being powered by the Holy Spirit. You're power, being powered by your human nature. And it's hard. I get it. And I get this question all the time. You know, uh, you know Mike, uh, how do I know the will of God? Well, I just want to tell you there are two ways that God reveals uh, his will to you. One is general revelation. That's through the Bible, just like we said. You want to know if you should be good with your finances? It's in the Bible. You want to know, should you cheat on your wife? It's in the Bible. It tells you. You want to know, should you, uh, uh, you, you know, manage your money well? It's in the Bible. You want, you want to know, should I be honest? It's in the Bible. That's general revelation. You don't, have, you don't need spirit guidance on that one. It's just in black and white. And I'll just tell you this, though. We know that the Spirit authored the Bible. So if you're hearing from the Spirit, you believe, and it's different from what the Bible says, you're not hearing from the Spirit. This is a real simple check, general guidance for your will, or for God's will for your life. But the second thing is he, he gives specific, like, if you want to know, should I marry this person? You're not going to find that in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible. So there are specific actions. There are general ways to live your life in specific actions. And that's where we have to lean into the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 
And I just want to tell you this, that when you're hearing, first of all, you can hear, you just tune into God, like we said, pray, read God's word, and as you're processing through these things, ask yourself, is this in alignment with what God wants? The second thing is, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this, I actually had this after the first service, it was amazing, a guy came up to me and said, I believe I have a word from God for you. I'm like, bring it, man, bring it. Really told me some great stuff. But here's what you need to do when someone says, I have something for you that I, that's from God. Because the problem is, even if that person goes, hey man, I, this is from God, you should listen to this. The problem is that it came through you, <laughs> right? And so it's kind of like spraying a, a hose through a screen, right? Comes out of the hose, it's completely pure, but as soon as it goes through the screen, whatever's on the screen comes out the other side with it, right? And so again, even when we're hearing for ourselves, we run, it, run the screen test, what's God's word say about it? <laughs> Is it in agreement with his word? And when we hear from others, I don't think people necessarily have bad intentions. It's we, we get our own motivations mixed up, right? We want stuff from God. And we want stuff in our lives. And so it's easy for us to entangle what God's will is and the checkpoint is for us to really, really make sure it's in alignment with his will. And the simple question is, is what I'm doing producing fruit of the spirit? Because fruit of the spirit is going to change my environment around me. To close out, I just want to look at a couple of verses here. You guys probably know this verse, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You've heard this one probably if you've grown up in church at all. And it goes like this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I'm going to stop there for a second. Just clarify. God's grace saved us. Nothing we did. So if you've heard me say this morning, we are doing works and we're supposed to do good works to earn salvation, that's not what I'm saying. I want you to hear the opposite. We do not, there's nothing we can do to earn God's grace in our life. Grace is a free gift that he gives us. We're saved by grace. Just we believe we're saved. But verse 10 goes on and it says this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saved by grace in order to do good works. We're not doing good works in order to receive grace. This is a response to what we've received from him. And he calls it, it's interesting that the word workmanship in here, we are his workmanship. The word means work of art. We are his masterpiece. He creates masterpieces out of us. We create messes out of ourselves, and you know that's the truth, right? We create messes. He creates masterpieces out of us and asks us to step into his role. We were created to do good works, and why will we do good works? For other people. That's our calling as a response to his grace in our life. Titus 2.14 says this, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. He did that for us so that we can do good works. And the only way we're going to do good works that are other-centered, not human nature, but divine nature, is when we receive the Holy Spirit, the input, the source of the river of life that comes out from us. I want you to take a look at a story here of a friend of ours, uh, Mike White, and uh, 
that demonstrates just a really, in a really simple way of a guy who was tuned into what the Holy Spirit was, was doing. And uh, just, just check out what happened in his life. Well, no, it goes back even earlier, I guess, because this flight that I was on was flying American through Dallas. Since I've been flying out of Salt Lake City, it's pretty much always Delta is a hub here. And I haven't flown through Dallas ever since I moved here. And I certainly wouldn't have accepted a three-hour layover, typically, except I have a friend in Dallas that I thought I might be able to meet for dinner. And so the three-hour layover could work. Before getting on the plane, I'm praying that that God would that you would just put someone in my uh, in my path that I could you know that I could share my faith with, and that I would that I would actually do it that I would actually have you know that He would give me the courage to actually do it. So I get on the plane, and pretty soon this this great big guy comes um, and and sits down, yeah, I mean, young guy, he's probably in his early 20s, sits down and, uh, you know, he's got a beard, a bunch of tattoos and stuff. I mean, seems like a nice fellow though, just, you know, you just had, had a good, you know, just had a good vibe about him. Before long, he's reading this book, like this Buddhist book, a little, um, you know, a spiritual book. And so, uh, you know, I just asked him about it. And we started talking about it. He gives me the book to read. So we get in this conversation and we're talking for, I mean, basically the rest of the flight. So I asked him after a while, well, what do you think happens when you die? Well, you know, he wasn't really sure. I mean, he thought, you know, I'm like, well, do you believe in God? Well, yeah, you know, kind of a, a foggy notion of, you know, something out there or whatever. But basically, it was a springboard to for me to share the gospel with him, which, you know, I just told him, well, look, you know, here's what I think. I think Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. I think he lived a perfect life because I can't. And I think he died on the cross, just like the Bible said. He rose from the dead three days later, defeating death. And I think if you, like the Bible says, repent of your sin, and put your trust in Him as God in flesh to save you from your sins, then, then you're completely forgiven and justified before God right there. He, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting in this plane seat, there's people you know, all over the place, and I'm saying this stuff as like an out-of-body experience almost. I'm like, I can't believe, I mean, I hear myself talking, I can't believe I'm the one saying this stuff. I mean, I believe it, but I just, I just can't believe that I'm actually, you know, that I'm actually sharing like this. And I, and I just figured, you know, at any moment, somebody's going to start shouting at me to shut up, or, he, or he's going to like hit me, or something like that. And none of that happened. He just, you know, he just sat there and listened to me. You know, went, met my friend, had dinner. It was great. Went, you know, went second leg of the trip, got home, got, saw my dad, it's a great trip and everything, come back, the return flight back through Dallas, get on the plane in Dallas to come back to Salt Lake, <laughs> and there is this guy again, same guy, 
sitting right next to me in the same seat for the flight back to Salt Lake City. Like God's just underscoring for this guy, underlining, hey, you know, you maybe ought to listen to what this guy had to say. On the flight back, we just, we just, you know, talked like friends, basically. We were both kind of, kind of surprised, but yeah, it was like we were old friends and best buddies. And that's, uh, yeah, I have to, I have to give that guy a call. Such a great story to see what happens when we tune into the Spirit and ask Him what He wants us to do, isn't it? And I'll just tell you this, uh, we shot actually three stories, and we were going to show all three stories, and we're just like, oh, that'll take the whole service. But tally short, and just, so there's a guy who's tuned in the Spirit, and he feels like God is asking him to share his faith with someone, and he does. And God, the Holy Spirit orchestrates this whole episode. And then we, we shot a story of Tally Shortridge, who believed that God was kind of leading her to start a Bible camp for the kids. And so she did that a couple weeks ago. And the stories of life change are amazing that happened in that Bible camp. And uh, uh, Edna Flores, who, uh, she's a single mom, she said, you know what, I feel like, you know, I feel, I feel like maybe I should start a ministry for, for single moms. And she did. Life change is happening. And so often I will hear people come up, you know what you guys should do? You know what the church should do? <laughs> Which I'm like, no, I'm about to know what you're supposed to do, though. See, when we tune into what the Holy Spirit calls us to do and we act in obedience, the world around us changes. And as we close, I'm just going to invite our greeters. We're going to take our offering. We do this all the time. And, and, and just by the way, if you want to see those other two stories, they'll be on the website or they'll be on the app. You can check out those stories. Um, but he, he, here's what I want to close with. We are called to good works for the good of others outside of ourselves. And even as we take our offering, again, the Bible is very clear that we return. We don't give God anything. We return what he's given to us. We're not generous. We're faithful. It's fruit of the Spirit when we give. And as you give back to God from what he's given you, the world changes because these dollars go support the ministries that happen here. All around, every single dollar goes to do something for the kingdom of God here. We're going to pray, and I just want to, you guys, bow your heads and close your eyes. And when I'm done praying, the readers are going to take the offering. I want to ask you a simple question. Even in this very moment, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Is he asking you to look at something in your life that, that maybe you're filling your glass with the junk that's going to produce junk? Are you substituting the Holy Spirit's power for your own power? Are you living in your own human nature, not the divine nature that you were offered? Just ask yourself, Spirit, what are you saying to me now right now? Father, we invite you to send your spirit into this place to fill us in a tangible way. We pray that we would feel your presence and know your calling, hear your voice, and in obedience respond to what you lead us to. 
Make us floodlights that illuminate your glory, not our own. Fill our glasses with your Holy Spirit. By the Father's good decree, Jesus, you've delivered me by your Spirit, set me free to follow you. I can only imagine, Father, what this world would look like, what this place would look like if we were all to follow your Spirit wholly as we're called to. We ask this in your name. Amen.